The OneStream Global Education Services team proudly presents the OneStream Podcast with your host, Peter Fugere. Greetings, fellow OneStreamers, and welcome to the OneStream Podcast, where we explore and examine all things OneStream, talk to experts in the industry, and gain knowledge from some of the brightest minds that help deliver and implement solutions for our clients. This episode is part of the OneStream Press Author Series, where we learn directly from the authors about topics, tips, and behind-the-scenes workflow that's all part of creating a OneStream Press book. I'm your host, Peter Fugere, Chief Solutions Officer at OneStream Software, and as always, I'm excited about our topic today, reports. And here with me to discuss it is Joel Smith, Distinguished Architect, and Jackie Sloan, Product Enablement. Hey, guys, how you doing? Hey, Peter. I'm doing well. Excited to have you guys talk to me about this. And it was great to have you guys write this chapter. I mean, I don't think we could have found two more knowledgeable people to help do it. But before we get started, why don't we, you know, distinguish architect product enablement. What do you guys do at OneStream now? Um, well, this is Chal, and I, uh, I'm working in the consulting services department of OneStream. And I help run the department, try to, you know, Get, get people up to speed within uh, services and uh, just help spread the knowledge with partners and product development and wherever else they need us. So that's about all I do. Design reviews, setting best practices, sharing knowledge with the team. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Jackie, you're over with product enablement, the pace of change with the product, everything that's coming out. What's that like for you? I've been now with the with that team for um, about a year, and yeah, it's definitely fast and um, ever evolving. So I work mainly on the platform side and kind of working as a liaison between our internal stakeholders, so different employees from different departments, in the product management teams um, to just you know make sure that everybody has um, a good understanding of you know where the product is going and um, the the initiatives that are coming out and some of the bigger projects that we're working on in the changes of the platform. You're right. The product's changing so fast. It's got to be crazy. Yeah. And a big, I mean, a big goal is to, you know, try to get some of this information into the hands of our own employees, you know, so that we're setting them up for success from a support side, from an implementation side. And so that's what I've been um, kind of building within the product management department. So fairly, fairly new. It didn't really exist before, but um, trying to kind of bridge, bridge some gaps, especially as we're growing so fast. And I think you guys both have real important jobs as the company's growing and expanding. I mean, both of you seem like focused from different parts of the company, from services and product development, but getting information out to the community. So that's great. It's been a, a fun ride to see the evolution of the platform see the the expansion of of OneStream, our our company. And I've been helping with, you know, global education services, writing the certifications, you know, being a part of this book has been really fun. And, uh, you know, just spreading the word, like you said. So I'm glad you brought up the book. We're talking today about the foundation book. This was the first in the OneStream press series. Tell me about your chapter. What did you guys write about? Our chapter was on reporting. So I kind of split it into, well, we we split it into two different sections, really. Um, one being QViews, because those are kind of the foundation of getting the data out of OneStream. And then the second part where Jackie jumped in was the dashboards. She probably has a little more knowledge than I do on dashboards. So she she jumped in on that one. 
And so, Jackie, you had to combine your time. Usually one person works on one chapter, another chapter. You guys worked on the same chapter. Jackie, what was that like? Well, I, uh, I think because we did have two separate topics, it kind of made it a little easier for us to go into our own corners and, um, and, and write those up, knowing that there wasn't a lot of, um, of overlap. The biggest thing was just kind of what I would do is go back into like Charles' pages especially as he was introducing the topic to just kind of make sure that the way in which, you know, I laid out the content um, mirrored the way that he uh, introduced it. But one really did kind of blend into the other nicely because like Charles said, TVs are the foundation for like reporting, getting data out, and then dashboards kind of elevate that and take it a step further. TVs are always going to be necessary where sometimes with dashboards, you know, it's it's a, it's a conversation and a decision on whether or not things are going to go into a dashboard. So um, I think one kind of lent into the other pretty well. Chell, if, if I had to ask you, who would benefit from reading this book? Or if, if I was a, a customer out there, why should I buy it? What would you tell me? I think the benefit of, of most of the chapters in the book, it's it's information that's not easily attainable by just reading, let's say, the the, the admin guide in one stream so the admin guide was more of a this is what this thing is and this is how to do it whereas the foundation book really gives you some insight into some of the other components or some of the other things that that may influence how you would design let's say a queue view or a dashboard um, it gives you things to think about some you know i know everyone likes to use tips and tricks but you know that that's really what they are it's not a comprehensive this is how you do this thing it's more of hey think about these things when you're designing this and use those to help influence what the what the end product will be when you create it you know jackie i i for the listeners of the podcast they know i always ask about the platform i always talk about why it's important. You know, you've got all these different types of solutions and reports. There's all these ways you can create them. I mean, isn't that the power of a platform that you can, you, you have different options, you have different tools in the toolbox. You, you're not stuck with one thing or another. And it mostly it starts with the cube view, right? Absolutely. And I think that that, you know, that's one thing that we always talk about, especially when we're, you know, putting together different um, reports to, to present to new customers and, and prospects and things like that. We talk about that out of the possible, right? And, yeah. and with the platform, that that just goes so far beyond what is possible, right? Because it, it really can do so many different things. Kind of like to piggyback on what Chell was saying, the, the nice thing about with the book is that it, it can't tell you all the different ways in which you can set something up. However, it can tell you really what to look out for initially. So as you are gathering requirements, as you are going through design and you're really listening to a customer and, and, their, and what they want and how they need things to operate, you do have a lot of tools in your toolbox. And now you can take all this information and make an educated decision as far as what, what is the best way to execute this, to get them what they want at the end of the day, right? And um, I think the fact that you have so many options um, yeah. makes it just so that it can, the look and feel for the end user can be wildly different from one end user to the next, right? In the same application, I'll say that I've even, you know, I get asked questions a lot of in very, questions that people think are just very simple, 
yes or no's, right? So what impacts the performance of a cube view? You're like, well, let's go back, you know, to, to the very beginning. It's not a simple answer, but I can go in the book and th that's information I can find quickly because those are things that you need to be on the lookout for before you even start building anything. So I think that that to me is where it becomes very helpful for trying to kind of get ahead of some of the issues we've seen and I guess save, save people from themselves, if you will. Why don't we take a step back and maybe give an overview of reports? We talk a little bit about CubeView. What's a CubeView and how does that fit into the other parts of the reports? So a CubeView is basically the portal into the database. It's the way to view the data in one stream, probably the most basic way of, of doing it. Um, some of the other products might have other things like grids and that sort of thing. Well, ours is a CubeView. Our reports are based on it. Um, you can embed those into dashboards, into spreadsheets, into Excel. Um, and so we really try to drive customers towards using CubeViews. Now, a lot of customers are kind of stuck in Excel world. We do have the add-in that can connect to the OneStream database and pull in reports that way. But there's a, a couple of advantages of the CubeViews that, that they have over Excel, one being control over you know statutory reports that they don't want people messing around with. So there's a security component around them. Depending on how much data you're retrieving, there's a latency component. So going through Excel might take a little longer if you have a very high volumes of data that are being pulled into a report. QViews, they're, they're meant to be interactive. So you can put them on dashboards, you can put them into um, report books and you know create PDFs from them. So there's a, there's a lot of power around the QViews that we try to get customers to use, even though they may be kind of an Excel customer, we'll call it. So guys, how would you estimate, like if I'm, with all those things, Chill, you just laid out, how do you estimate the work required to just write a report? I mean, how do you start? Well, generally, you know, you've got some of your pretty standard trial balance reports that are common across pretty much every customer. There is no real science around estimating the number of hours it takes. We'll generally kind of throw a few hours at it just in case there may be data that's sitting in, you know, weird intersections that they weren't expecting or something like that. Yeah. But for the most part, some of these pretty standard reports, um, we can knock out pretty quickly. It, like I said, it's it's tough to estimate, but um, we generally kind of give about four hours per cube view. Now, the caveat to that is what we like to do during our requirements and design calls is review the reports and see what we're looking at. So when we are looking at those reports and reviewing them, we look for consistency across various reports. So for example, if you've got an actuals versus budget, you've got your better worse column, you got your percentage better better worse, and then you've got your actuals to forecast. And that is consistent across, let's say 20 reports. Right. We know that in one stream, because of the dynamic nature of the way cube views are built, we can build that column set one time and just reference that column set for as many reports as you want or cube views as you want. So we can knock down that time based on the consistency among reports. So we're, we're looking for similarities. We're looking for dimensionality. And that's why we start kind of at the at the end 
uh, end goal to see what are we trying to get out of one stream in order to determine some of the foundational um, design of the system. That ties in so perfectly, Joel, with what when we had other people come in and talk about design, talk about a reports inventory. I mean, that makes perfect sense. You know, you, you'd, you'd gather the reports. What do they tell you? All the calculations, your dimensionality, and then you can pull them apart. And, you know, it, a report inventory then isn't, you know, a PL. It's what are my rows? I might have a PL row set. I might have a, a quarterly column. I might have a comparative column. And, and sort of break it up that way. That's really interesting. And then when you talk about other, like there were other items in the book and components to set up like groups and things like that. How do you look at those? And how would I even, how would I go through the process of determining groups and sets of reports? How do you do that? Um, a lot of times it's it's based around the the workflow and who needs to view what and when they need to view it. Right. And so we try to encourage, you know, naming conventions is a big one. I think that was mentioned in, in a different chapter within the book. But throughout each chapter, I think there is a, a naming convention that's mentioned. Um, so it's important to kind of understand who needs what, when do they need it, and not to necessarily create work for work's sake. So, I mean, w within the workflow, we can present reports when they need to be presented so they're not getting so the end user is not getting three or four steps through the process and then having to review reports and then go back to step one or two because they noticed a mistake so we really try to urge um, the groupings of reports to follow some of that workflow when do they need when do they need to be presented so for example if someone's looking at intercompany or something and they want to see an intercompany report don't present it to them after they've submitted all their data, done all their journal entries, because one of the steps in that process is reviewing their inner company. So put those reports and those groups where they need to be within the process. Jackie, now when you're done building the cube views, I'm assuming a lot of those cube views are inserted as objects into dashboards and set up. When you're looking at a dashboard, how do you look at the different components and how do you how do you tackle that? And I think that one of the biggest things is what what is it that you want the user to be able to do, right? So what type of interaction do you want the user or whoever is going to you know be looking at this report and interacting with the report? Where, where do they want them to so do? So it's about and the it end users. That, um, yeah, and it could just be whoever the data consumer is, right? I mean, the, that yeah. that particular role can vary from you know the, your the data loaders to the executives to even administrators. But um, you know, there are times where I might just want to pull a bunch of reports together and present them, you know, in just like a diff all different tabs, so my user doesn't have to click and, and launch a bunch of different reports. Or it could be that I want to execute some type of, you know, calculations. I want to be able to type some data in and um, do some, you know, calc on that or some allocations on that. You know, there's all different ways in which we can interact with the data. Um, if I want it to be more like graphical or um, or illustrative and um, give them some different like pivot options or drilling options, that's where the dashboard might come up in a conversation. Um, I think that that coupled with your your data, right? So what what data are we pulling in and, and how much data are we pulling in? The beauty of a dashboard is that you can have data from multiple areas. So where it could come from a cube view, 
It could also be coming from um, another part of the database. It could also be coming from an external database, right? So I can create these custom data sets and then use different dashboard components to present that data, um, you know, in, in a variety of different ways. So I think, you know, it, it really comes down to what type of data am I looking at and what is it that I want my users to be able to do at the end of the day? So then, yes, what you're saying is it, it, the data set, how they're interacting, and then would you mock up? Would you create a model for them to play with and get feedback? I mean, is that is this one of those iterative processes or is it um, something you, you, you'd ask the client to mock up and then build going forward? Chol, how do you even look at that? Like when you're when you're interacting with that, how do you set that up? Some sometimes, if they can't visualize what it might look like, we might do a quick mock-up. Um, you know, I, I think one thing we we try to avoid is, you know, building everything kind of in all the different flavors that that it might be because that just that is does no favors for for anyone really. It kind of eats up hours, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, if there's if there's a, a really intensive kind of user interface that that they're requesting, then you know we might we might mock something up. We might even just put it in Excel just as a visual and say, hey, we're gonna have this data in the upper right corner. We're gonna have a, a trending line graph in the lower right corner. When you click here, this thing happens. Just to give them a little bit of an idea of what it might look like. Yeah. So. I think a lot of customers will have consumers of data where they don't want to give a OneStream license to. I think the one of the beauty of of OneStream is is the interactive nature. Even if users aren't submitting data or running calculations, there is a component especially today with the advancements in some of the technologies um, with interaction of these reports. And so I'll use guided reporting as uh, an example. In guided reporting, for those of you who are not familiar with it, it's a marketplace solution where a user is going through and essentially ticking and doing drop downs and selecting the data they want to see and how they want to see it. And this is kind of a mix and match with columns and rows. And so that type of interaction, even though I may just be consuming data, that gives me freedom to investigate what I may want to investigate. So this goes back to what Jackie, you were saying. I mean, you know, you talk about a C-level executive and they want to see a report. It probably needs to be more visual. It probably needs to have less interaction. The data needs to be more focused. I mean, those were all the things you were saying about setting up a dashboard, right? That's right. And there are you know, several different components that um, come to mind, you know, if I'm looking at something like the um, BI viewer or the advanced chart, right, yeah. to where they can kind of get like a quick snapshot of, of, of the data. And what's nice with the QView is that I can use QView data as my data set, as my data adapter, to then kind of plug in any of these components and, you know, take the data and kind of um, make, it, make it more graphical. One of my favorite things I've ever heard a customer say is, don't give me what I want, give me what I need, right? And <laughs> right. so it's kind of our job to, to kind of sift through all of the, the things that they saw, you know, during the, the sales cycle and all of that to say, okay, but here's, here's kind of like the, 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 real, the real expectation, right? And if we right. pump all this data into here, this is what the, you know, trade-off is gonna be, you know, something on the performance side, or we can get it to do this. However, we need to kind of, 
carve out, you know, we need to sacrifice this or it's going to look a little different here or there. You know, I think that that's really the biggest thing about designing a dashboard. It's almost like treating it like a little mini project, you know, because right. there are a lot of elements to take into consideration, especially if you're trying to jam a bunch of stuff into, um, into the dashboard itself. So really understanding and having a clear idea of what it is that they're trying to do, right? What's the objective here? And then the smartest way to build that. Then go back and put your, you know, icing on the cake and like your, you know, your sprinkles and your cherry on the sundae because then you can make it pretty and look at your images and your colors. But first, let's get it, let's get it functioning. And right. um, I think like blueprinting it out is very, very important. And, uh, and knowing exactly, you know, what it is that you're, uh, that you're doing um, makes it good in the long run. So if I could bring this all together. So, you know, we talked about this uh, on some other podcasts too. For the listeners, you're taking these reports, you build out your reports inventory. And then as you actually get through the database build and you start to pull these reports together, and if you're using a great tool like guided reporting, you're able to pull some stuff together. Now I've got some cube views and then take it over to where Jackie's saying, I can drop these in, set up some basic functionality, and then start to get some feedback on some dashboards. But I think it's important too. You you know you want to make sure you are you know limiting the iterations of that feedback. You know you don't the 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 dashboards can't necessarily be their own agile project. You know that the scope will creep and you'll never get them wrapped up. But you want to be able to show off and and put some of the the shine on it, maybe some stuff they've seen in a demo. Do you guys think that's a good approach? And and if so, then my next question is, what are some mistakes people make along the way in setting something up like that? I think some of the mistakes that customers or or implementation teams can make um, when it comes to building queue views is really, um, I would say there are four big um, principles, I guess we'll call them. Of, of report building. Um, I would say consistency, using parameters, um, using anchors on the reporting, and then making things as dynamic as possible. So consistency is pretty pretty self-explanatory. You know, when, when you've got a number of uh, report builders in the system building reports, people might not know exactly how to build them or, or have different methods of, of building reports. It's important that there is consistency among them, um, partially because it, it goes into the next point, which I made, which were parameters. So if you build out reports properly, um, you can use parameters across most of your cube views. And what that allows from a maintenance perspective is you make one change to the parameter and you've changed essentially that particular property or formatting across all of your cube views. So you're not having to go into each one, you know, and change your bold to italics or, you know, create an, an, an un, a single underline versus a double underline. You're not having to go into every single one. You just change it once in the parameter and it flows through all the reports. Obviously that it has a dynamic component to it. So yes, try to make them as dynamic as possible um, using the member filters within the member filters builder. Uh, learn those well and you'll you know that's step one i think in in making the cube views dynamic and then the other thing i mentioned were anchors and what i mean by that is when a user is interacting with a 
a report and they want to run a report. You, there are so many different options to where that report can quote unquote anchor. We can connect it to the workflow. So if they have to go to the workflow, go to their month, run the report, it's going to be for the month they are showing in the workflow. Alternatively, we can set up a parameter for that. So they get a pop-up box, they select their month and year, and the report will run for that time period. And then a third option even is using the cube point of view on the right side of the uh, of the interface of the of the Windows interface, and selecting a time frame from that point of view. So to reduce or essentially minimize the confusion for end users as to where do I need to go to change the period? Because I don't want to run it for the period it's running for. I want to run it for a different one. It's important that all of those are consistent because for one port, one report, you don't want to go to the cube point of view. For another, you have to go to the workflow. For another, it's just going to pop up and give me and make me choose. You want to just ensure that, you know, again, all of those are consistent across the board. So the biggest mistakes I've, I find is when customers are not using kind of those four, four items uh, together. Jackie, what do you think? What are common mistakes people make when they're trying to build reports? Uh, I, I think one one thing, especially people who are who might be newer to, to one stream into the platform is trying to kind of like lift and shift what you used to have in, in a prior system, which kind of goes back to what Shaw was saying about Excel. Um, and uh, instead of kind of taking a look at these more updated capabilities or obviously new capabilities if you're in a new system and and making sure that you have a good understanding of how all these things work and how it can actually play to your favor in presenting this to to a customer um, and, and implementing it um, that it, it isn't going to translate from one system to another it's not designed that way um, and there are a lot of benefits to using QViews and using them within the workflow, like Shell said, keeping it dynamic, using linked QViews and different features that we're putting in there to make it easier from both a maintenance and a usability perspective. Um, so don't, don't underestimate what the reporting packages are um, and don't be afraid to you know, look under the covers when you're in something in a, in a newer situation. So where can people get more information or support when they're writing reports? When they run into a roadblock, how do they get some help? I highly recommend reaching out to one community and um, taking a look at some of the forums and questions and blogs that have been written on any of these things. Reporting is a big topic, so there's a lot of information out there. Also Navigator, our um, LMS, there's various um, learnings that you can do, whether they are you know, micro courses or um, just a quick little like how-to tips and, and videos, lots of training content, as well as documentation. What's the most memorable story, tip, experience you have about this book or any good client story, just no names? For, for me, I think the most memorable thing is just actually having the, the privilege of, of being included with all the one stream greats, I, I call them. It's uh, it's been fun. I I've been with OneStream for for eight years and learned the learned the platform early days and I think it's just it's memorable for me to be included with with all those other authors that are that were asked to to help with writing the book. Yeah, I think it's pretty incredible the amount of resources 
that um, we have now, especially with how things have evolved over the years with on both the platform side and the marketplace side. Now it's kind of nice to have a collection of resources that helps people not have to go through the same things over and over again. What do you think are the most important takeaways for a reader from this book? I would use the foundation book as, as a map and as you're setting out to do your implementation and getting into a specific design to, to read through those different areas as you enter them to see what information is important to have now and what should I be um, asking and what are the requirements that I need to help me make educated decisions as far as design is, is concerned. Jackie, Cho, another great discussion. Thank you very much for bringing your expertise to the podcast today. And thank you, fellow OneStreamers, for joining us. As a reminder, you can order all your OneStream books at onestreampress.com or wherever you get your digital and hard copy books. Remember, if you like this content, please do not forget to subscribe. We would love to hear from you. Questions, comments, concerns, please reach out at podcast at onestreamsoftware.com. I look forward to bringing you another exciting podcast. And until then... Take care, and I'll see you next time on The One Stream Podcast. The One Stream Podcast is brought to you by the One Stream Global Education Services Team.